Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. Hey everyone, well, would you look at that? Fall is officially here. School is back in session, the weather is cooling off, all your favorite sports are back on TV, and of course, COVID cases are still a thing. And oh yeah, fall also means that flu and respiratory virus season is creeping upon us. Well, okay, so it's not all great news. But hey, let's turn that frown upside down. Just like last year, we've been through this before. We know what we're doing. The House Call Podcast has got the answers to your flu, COVID, and respiratory virus questions. Keep it here. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin, and my goal is to help you and your family live a smarter, healthier life. Today's conversation is all about the upcoming flu season, always a hot topic this time of year. We are extremely lucky to have Dr. Joel Fishbane, infectious disease specialist and House Call Podcast veteran, who's joining me in the podcast uh, to cover this important topic today. We will cover the following topics, such as why it's important to get the flu shot this year, when is the right time to get vaccinated? And how should we be timing our flu shots and COVID vaccines or booster shots this year? So lots to cover. Let's not waste any time. Let's get right to it. Welcome, Joel. Thank you very much and glad to be here again. Yeah. So Joel, let's jump in. For starters, um, tell me a little bit uh, about this year's flu vaccine and has it changed or how has it changed compared to last year's version? Well, as you know, every year they do a big push about a year in advance using the Southern Hemisphere episodes of flu to try to predict our flu season. They have to start early. They always start early. And they've made some small changes, not in the big designation of the virus like H1N1, H3N2, but the, the small changes to better reflect and better cover. So... You know, they make the changes they can, and they've been small, but they've, they've done it. They do what they need to do. Correct. And, and um, just to put a finer point on that, yes, they did make some very slight modifications this year. Probably wasn't an easy task, considering we really didn't have a lot of flu in the background last year. But nevertheless, they did uh, assimilate this information. Um, one change is that now they're only offering quadrivalent vaccines. Uh, in past years, you could have got a trivalent vaccine. This year, they're all quads. Um, and, uh, and again, slightly modified compared to last year. So, so I feel pretty good about that. Next question, who should get a flu shot this year? Everybody, you know, <laughs> everybody. So, you know, what's really interesting in the last few years is for those that had egg allergies, we now have two companies that make an egg-free, egg, you know, based a different mechanism of production so that yep. the, the egg allergy people can go get a flu shot. So my, my point is everybody. And if you look at the history of flu shots, remember it started with adults. And then we found out, oh, kids going to school with their snotty, runny noses, they bring it home. Kids are out of school a long time with flu, lots of absentees. So now kids are added. So the more people get the flu shot, yes. the better it is for everybody. You potentially decrease the number of cases of flu. And as you know, businesses have trouble with individuals who work for them being out sick with the flu, kids out of school. So the more people they get the flu shot, the better. And I think people are starting to hear that familiar refrain more and more because we're sort of applying that same logic to COVID. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, One question, uh, just to, to add on to that, there is some confusion, I think, around, you know, should I get a high dose flu shot? Should I get the regular dose flu shot? What say you? 
I think it'd be nice now to introduce sort of how we test results of flu vaccination. And as you know, they test antibody levels, which is a surrogate marker for protection. Mm -hmm. And so they've seen that they changed the type of flu vaccine component to make sure you develop an antibody response to the predicted flu strain. The double dose is shown to have better immunity in older adults. Right. So it's not it's safe, so you can do that. So for over 65, the recommendation is to give the higher dose, but if you can't get access to it, regular dose is fine. So, you know, you want to make sure you have access to a vaccine, that you get your vaccine. Which one you get is probably irrelevant at this point. If you can get it, get it. And older adults should hopefully be able to find the double-dose vaccine. Correct. And, and I think what you just said mirrors exactly what the CDC and what the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, the ACIP, sort of the gold standard, what they say about flu shots. We don't prefer one over another. Just get it. Any protection's better than no protection. But if you want to get in the weeds... If you're over 65, high dose is probably better for you. Right. But not everybody can get it. Not everybody can carry it. As you know, in our office, right. we were never able to get the, the higher dose. Now we do. But if it's not available and you have an opportunity, the best flu shot out there is the one you get. When is the best time for us to get these flu shots? Okay. So that's a good one. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit um, vague in that I believe the recommendations are by the end of October. That's how I believe it's worded. But I actually like to get it as soon as it's available because you cannot predict when you might have a spike in flu cases. So if you wanted to be conservative and say, I know it lasts or predicted to last about six months, and mm -hmm. so I want to wait till the end of October, you could find yourself, whether you're taking a trip, going on vacation, having family members over, you might find yourself in a position of being exposed to flu before a peak. So in my opinion, get it when you are available to get it when it's available. I like that. But the recommendation, the the verbiage really is by the end of October. Yeah. And getting it at that time, as you said, gives you that six month window of protection approximately, right? which will carry you through, you know, statistically speaking, the end of the, the typical flu season. Last year, we pushed flu shots hard. Right, because we were convinced that we were going to be living in this twindemic, right. that it was going to be flu and COVID living in the same house together, and it was going to be a complete disaster. As we now know, the flu really wasn't much of a thing last year. But based upon that, now I'm hearing some speculation that this flu season might be extra bad. You want to talk about that? Sure. So I think there's probably more theory at this point, because we don't have any factual information, right. but let's let's give a, a theoretical response. I think polio was a great example. Polio was eradicated, but when you used to give the kids the live polio vaccine, they would spread the vaccine strain and continue to immunize those around them. That has been removed. Now, what we have is a circumstance where you don't have any vaccine shedding, and you don't have any flu exposure from last year. So mm -hmm. let's say, in theory, you get the vaccine, you're protected, the flu season goes through, you get exposed to flu, you boost your own immunity. We didn't have that last year. So I believe the theory is, since we don't know exactly how long your innate immunity is from either vaccine or infection, there is the potential this year of having a bad flu season because we wore masks, we isolated, we shut down businesses, and there was no flu last year, essentially. Yeah. 
Now you have the potential for highly susceptible adults with small strain differences. It could be. I don't know how else they base their prediction on because I'm not a vaccinologist, nor am I a virologist. So they must have based it on something. I just think it's fair to say we're heading into a, a time of great uncertainty, not just for what the flu season is going to look like, which, you know, com- frankly, we don't have a great perspective on that. We can look at Australia. I mean, they're sort of our canary in a coal mine. Yep. We have looked at Australia, whose flu season typically runs around like May to October. They have not had a particularly bad flu season this year. I would argue that they're probably a little better at vaccinating their community than we are. But hey, that's just me. And we also have got COVID, and we don't know really where COVID is headed, right? So we could easily speculate that as weather cools off, people start to move indoors. We could see increases in cases. But again, that's that's all speculative. This has taught me, if nothing else, it's taught me to be humble and really try to avoid making any sweeping predictions about where we're headed. Right. Well, let's let's even talk about human behavior. Good so point. we've spent we've spent eighteen months. The majority of people did a great job following the rules. We've lost businesses, shut down, closed up, and stayed home. Human behavior would suggest that if the data shows that our fourth peak is decreasing, that COVID vaccination rates are increasing, is it safer now to have 15 family members fly in for Thanksgiving dinner? Is it safer now to go back shopping with thousands of your newest best friends at the mall? Is it okay to have Christmas dinner with your extended family? So human behavior may end up dictating how not only COVID goes through the winter, but also how the flu season progresses. So I think we also have to figure out what is going to be the new human behavior after 18 months of this is ridiculous, I'm tired of being at home. So I think this next question is is probably more applicable to your point about human behavior, probably more applicable to last year, but I'll ask it again anyway. Some patients are inevitably going to be concerned about going out and getting their flu shot because COVID cases may be up in their community. With that in mind, how do you counsel these patients? What do you tell them? Okay, so um, you've probably heard me on multiple other press interviews, et cetera, that Mm -hmm. I am a huge believer in masking. And I think if you're concerned, I'm a huge fan. You can continue to mask. I don't particularly care about what other people's perception is of you with a mask, but masking has benefit. Um, We've seen that. And I think that has resulted in the complete lack of respiratory virus season last year. That was masking, that was staying at home, and that was not congregating. So If you're concerned, continue to wear your mask. You know, if you're concerned, try to avoid large crowds of people. Keep your six feet apart. Go get your flu shot. You know, two studies that I like to reference when we talk about masking. One was done, you know, right here in Beaumont um, that was sort of the seroprevalence study done early on in COVID that, granted, it was retrospective. It was more survey information. But what we found was those individuals who wore masks, particularly N95 masks, had lower seroprevalence, meaning they were less likely to get COVID by virtue of that. Pretty compelling data from that study on the use of masks and the and the low seroconversion rate among those that did. And then the more recent one that maybe you had a chance to take a look at was this huge study from Bangladesh that basically was a an intervention where they went into these small tribes and they educated and they passed out masks. 
and they monitored over time prospectively. And sure enough, they found that in those areas where masking improved, and it didn't improve to 100%, but it improved significantly, they found substantially less COVID. Right. Excellent evidence that masks work. We can even look to our own flu season last year. I think a big part, just like you said, Joel, why we didn't see a lot of flu last year was because of masks. Right. Do you think masks are going to become sort of the norm for us as we head into respiratory season? Would I like it to be that way? Yes. I, I would love to see a system where in October the flag goes up. We're seeing respiratory viruses, including influenza. It's time to recommend masking. And I would love to see a mask season. And the more people voluntarily masking, then that would be wonderful. The people who have a little respiratory illness, masking. So if we could push for a masking season, just like many countries actually do, I think we would be better off. And not everybody has to. Not everybody's going to want to. I, I get that. And I'm not recommending mandates or any policies. I'm just saying right. we as healthcare professionals and epidemiologists, I think the data is sufficient to really just push that and say we really recommend it. And just remember, too, and you know this data, the masks do a better job keeping you from spreading it to somebody than really you picking it up. You know, the small particles and some of the other issues with, you know, protecting yourself versus protecting others. So if we could take a more humanistic approach, in other words, I have a cold, I'm going to go to work because I don't feel sick, I'm going to wear a mask and protect my healthcare workers. But We've all seen it. One person in the office gets sick. Everybody in the office gets sick. I think we yeah. could reduce that significantly with just a masking season. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I think I'm with you. I'd like to see that. I think we as healthcare workers will obviously continue to wear our masks for the foreseeable future. I think we need to see substantially less covid and respiratory virus transmission in our community and our hospitals before we'll you know flip that switch back to off. Um, let's get clinical for just a bit here. So uh, common question, uh, you know, uh, okay, we're heading into respiratory virus season. We've got flu. We've got uh, RSV, which is respiratory syncytial virus. We've got COVID. Is there any meaningful way that I, as a person, can tell the difference between any of these viruses? Not anymore. Right. Um, you know, we used to say that clinically, uh, but, you know, if your office didn't have a rapid flu test, we used to say, listen, you know, if you meet three criteria, you had influenza, high fevers, cough, and your body hurts like heck, the truck ran you over, then we used to say you could start flu treatment, you not, don't bother testing, you meet the quote-unquote CDC case definition. Right. I think all bets are off. Yes. You know, um, we've had a number of RSV patients. I, I bet dollars to donuts and even put in my consult, this is influenza, and I sent for more testing. No, it was RSV. So yeah. I was dead wrong. So I think all bets are off. I think right now you cannot distinguish. I agree. I think you can with a test. With a test. And so then that begs the question, should we be encouraging people who get respiratory virus symptoms, fevers, coughs, colds, runny noses, to run out and get tested? Well, we're in a new world, and I think the better, the better answer is yes. The simple answer is yes. Okay. Um, Talk me through that. Okay. So I'm a clinician, so therefore I would say I'd like to know whether my patient needs Tamiflu. I would like to know if my patient would benefit from 
Tamiflu, you know, the, or other drugs for influenza. And the only way to know that is with a test. Okay. I would also like to be able to counsel the patient about, you need to stay home. You can go to work. You shouldn't go to work. Do you have kids at home? Who is at home at risk for more severe illness? As a clinician, that information helps me. As an epidemiologist, I would say you have to know because you could pick up an outbreak of something sooner, like the RSV outbreak we're seeing. It makes everybody smarter when you, when you start to pick up data and you say, my gosh, we're having RSV. Yeah. That helps. If, from a COVID standpoint, if you start to see breakthroughs, then you want to know these are breakthrough infections from vaccinated. We need to know what's going on. And the testing is getting better. The testing is getting more rapid and it's actually becoming much more available. So since we're doing better with testing, I always believe in medicine as an infectious disease doctor. And I know you do the same thing. Knowledge is power. The more you know, the better off it's going to be, both for the patient and from an epidemiologic standpoint. Agree. And I, and I agree with everything you just said. And if if I could be assured that a person was not going to have complications from said virus or said infection, I may be less inclined to get testing. But the fact of the matter is, we just don't know. We're dealing with a more transmissible virus uh, variant. Um, and, and many people, you know, it's also probably encouraged to test because many people may be eligible for treatment options. We wouldn't otherwise know that or have that information if we didn't have a test. So, I think just to punctuate this, yes, it's probably a good idea if you do develop symptoms to get yourself tested, find out what you're dealing with, flu, RSV, COVID, whatever, and then make some clinical decisions based on that information. That's right. And in the absence of a 100% protective vaccine, which nothing exists in that realm for any infection, as you know, there is no such thing as 100% efficacy. The issue that I have during school season and holiday season is what we just talked about. If an individual is tested and positive for something, then you can advise the kids, the schools, work, family members. You can be a better steward of transmission of infection by knowing what you have. Yeah. Now, granted, you know, when I had younger children at home and we were sick on average five to six times a year with a cold, we didn't care, right? Kid comes home with snotty nose, mom gets a snotty nose, I get a snotty nose, goes away, you get another one in three weeks, because that's what happens when you have kids who go to school. We're in a whole different world. The ball game has changed. We went from baseball to cricket, basically. And so <laughs> I think what we really need to do is be a little bit better as epidemiologic stewards of our community health. And the more information you have, the more I would say the kids have to stay home for 10 days. It actually is COVID. It's a breakthrough. Oops. You know, so I think we're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive at diagnostics, which I think could help the community as well as community spread. So to all my doctor friends and healthcare provider friends who are listening right now, there you go. I think we need to be, you know, don't be so thrifty with your tests. You know, don't be afraid to order tests on these patients. It really truly could change your clinical management. To all my healthcare administrator friends who might be listening right now, we need to make sure that we have a mechanism in place to get these people tested and make it as simple as possible uh, uh, so that it's not uh, bogging down the healthcare system, right? We don't necessarily want all these people flooding our emergency rooms with runny noses, so we need to find ways to do that in, a, in an appropriate setting. 
Right, right. And I know for a fact that I think most physician offices are going to continue to decline seeing individuals with respiratory viruses and illness um, because they don't want them in the office. So we're going to have to make sure there's opportunities for testing outside of the physician's office. And I understand their approach. Sure, I do. I do, too. I I really do. A bit of a, a wonky question here to throw in just for fun. Can I get two or three, even three of these infections at the same time? Can I get COVID and flu at the same time? If you look at the history of our recent testing, so as you know, our, we have this great diagnostic test that runs 12, 15 different viruses from your swab, and we know for a fact that you can get multiple viruses at the same time. Right. So from a historical standpoint, yes. Currently, I haven't seen it. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but I think, remember... We probably have not seen dual and triple infections because we made the other viruses go away last year with masking and social distancing and lack of congregating. If we If we loosen all of that and we start going to bars and restaurants during regular respiratory season, I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to pick up more and more dual and triple infections. And it doesn't have to be the big three influenza, RSV, and COVID, it could be COVID and adenovirus. It could be COVID and parainfluenza. And that's why the other test is so much fun is for the first time in decades, you can actually call the virus causing your symptoms. So I do expect to see dual infections. Yeah, I think that you make a really good point, especially with the overall low prevalence of some of these viruses in the community. Who knows? Um, famous scenario, you hear it all the time. So do I. Um, I got, I'm happy to get my COVID vaccine, but I am not going to get that flu shot because I get sick every time I get that flu shot. Talk me through your, give me your speech to that right. patient. Um, every time I hear this, I say, do you know how you got the flu after the flu shot? No. I said, you went and you waited in line with 10 of your friends and two of them had the flu before they got their flu shot. So right. my answer is you picked it up going to get your flu shot. The flu shot cannot and does not make you sick in the absence of an allergic reaction. Sure, those are true, but you cannot, 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 could you please repeat that 10 times? <laughs> cannot get the flu from the flu shot. It's because you picked up a respiratory virus either while waiting for it or at the provider's office. Yeah, it's a bug of the system, right? I mean, we're taking people, we're cramming them indoors during respiratory virus uh, season, uh, you know, and then we're telling them to wait in the office for half an hour before we room them, and then we're giving them a flu shot, and then wouldn't you know it, five days later, they they get sick. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It's a coincidence. Right. Um, I think the flu shot has also been a little bit of a tough sell in years past because there's a lot of discussion about, well, gosh, the flu shot just really doesn't work that well. And on a good flu season year, we might get 50%, 60% protection. And a lot of people reference that number and say, well, it's really not all that good. I mean, should I? it's like a flip of a coin. Should I really bother getting it anyway? What, what's your conversation there? Right. So um, before this, I have to be honest, I wanted to look up some data to be a little bit more accurate than yes or no or could be maybe in the <laughs> usual vague responses I give. But I would say that it does appear that it's basically 30% reduction in the likelihood of ending up in an ICU, ending up in a hospital, ending up dead from influenza. So when you talk about 40 to 60% efficacy of influenza vaccine, there are some data collection problems, as you know. 
if influenza truly is not a reportable disease, a lot of it is estimates. And I found out that the CDC, I believe, uses five specific sites to monitor influenza rates and look at vaccinations in those individuals. So it is a a small microcosm of the country. It's sort of, in my opinion, like taking a I don't know how to give you a great example, but taking a giant whole chicken and then breaking off that little tip of the wing and saying, this chicken doesn't taste good because you've just, you know, all you've done is sampled one part of it. So the CDC does the best they can with the data that they can collect. So I like to remind people that they do the best they can and they do a great job, but it's a it's a sampling process, and I do believe there's always the potential for error. So 40 to 60% efficacy of a vaccine, that's their estimate based on the best data they can get, but it clearly helps to prevent serious illness. So yeah, get it. E- exactly. Extrapolate everything that we have been learning and hearing about the COVID vaccine for the last few months. That's exactly the same paradigm that we've been preaching about the flu vaccine. It may not totally prevent you from getting the flu. You might get the flu shot and still get the flu, but it will prevent those more serious complications by and large. And that's really where the money's at. Okay. Final thoughts, Joel. So uh, I get my flu shot. I get my COVID booster, my vaccine, whatever. Now I'm fully protected. Can I ditch that mask? The Joel Fishbane answer is, please don't ditch the mask. (laughs) And the Nick Gilpin answer is, keep all the public health stuff going strong, masking indoors in crowds, um, especially when there's a lot of COVID transmission in the community. Wash those hands, cover those coughs, stay home if you're sick. All that stuff we've been preaching, it still applies even after you get the vaccine. What we know, as you know, with COVID is if you're a breakthrough infection, you probably spread it for a shorter period of time. You definitely have less symptoms, and you're more likely to recover quickly and not need hospitalization, intubation, and supplemental oxygen. So the vaccines may not prevent you from spreading some of these. Just remember, you've given yourself an immune boost to protect yourself from being in our emergency room and needing oxygen, but you may not be protecting other people around you if you pick it up and spread it for a short period of time. Because vaccines protect you from getting sick, they may not protect you from transient replication of those viruses and transmission before you shut it down. So please mask, please be aware of who's around you, please watch you know, symptoms, et cetera. And you know, you're going to stop, you may still spread it, but you still need to protect everybody with a mask. Well said, I'll leave it there. That's about all we have uh, time for today. I want to thank my friend, Dr. Joel Fishbane, for his time and enthusiasm and energy on the podcast today. Well, you're very welcome, and thank you. It's good to be invited. I want to know when Beaumont's going to pay for me to go to Australia to do the influenza study. So (laughs) I'll I'll be on my phone all day waiting for that invite. You got it. I also want to remind our listeners to check out Beaumont.org slash flu for all things related to flu. And likewise, you can also check out Beaumont.org slash coronavirus for all things COVID. We will continue to release more and more content relevant to influenza and COVID as the season progresses, so please stay tuned. I also want to remind you to send any questions or suggestions you might have to podcast at beaumont.org. And with that, I will leave you with today's healthy thought. With respiratory virus season just around the corner, let's all do our part to stop the spread of influenza and COVID-19. That means get your flu shot and your COVID shot if you haven't already. 
wear a mask and social distance when you're in public, practice good hand hygiene, stay home when you're sick, and be sure to get tested if you develop any fever, cough, or other flu-like symptoms. Be safe. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.